Romans 8, 22. Picking up from last week. It says, for we know that the whole creation, somebody say the whole creation. That's an interesting thought that every created being, thing, or system is groaning. Say the whole creation. That means the demons are groaning. Because they're created beings. Means the angels are groaning. It means the constellations are groaning. Somebody say whole creation. For we know, it's emphatic, that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, somebody say we also. Interestingly enough, the apostle makes a distinction between the whole creation and the saints. Puts us in a different category. I'm going somewhere with that. He said, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit. It is not a light thing that you are baptized with the Holy Ghost. That's why I, I released that in the exhortation tonight, that you all would begin to honor God that you were filled with the Holy Spirit. Honor God that the third person in the Godhead has taken up residence inside of your being. It says that we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption or the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Tell your neighbor it's coming. Likewise, now this is connected to creation's groaning and travail and the groan and travail of those of us who have the first fruits of the Spirit. It's all connected. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. King James says in our infirmities. In other words, in our deficiency. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. For we do not know what we should pray for what does it say? That means nobody is walking in full prophetic or spiritual intelligence about what and how to pray. Did I just help intercessors find humility? I don't care what you saw, what you dreamt, what you feel, what you heard. You don't know what to pray for as you ought. There's a prayer dimension above your pay grade. Always. Don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself now we're talking about the prayer of God. It's one thing to pray to God. It's another thing to tap into the prayer of God. God prays. Am I in the scripture? It says the spirit himself makes intercession for us. I don't know if in your Bible that H or for himself is capitalized, but it's making a reference to God himself. God, the Holy Spirit, intercedes for us. That's why we don't know what to pray for as we ought, because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. Somebody say amen. amen. But the spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So there is a prayer of the spirit. There is a travail of the spirit that even though we pray in tongues and intercession, there is a depth in prayer that there is no utterance. In other words, there is no articulation of prayer, of words in that prayer. 
Have you ever been so caught up in the spirit or so deep in, in the spirit that all you can feel is the weightiness of his burden and you groan within yourself? It's the same groan that the Bible records that Jesus had within himself right before he called Lazarus out of the grave. When God's about to move, you'll feel a groan. When God's about to work a miracle, there will be a groan in you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is going to intercede in a depth and in a dimension that our finite minds are incapable of understanding what he's about to do. The spirit himself makes intercessions, groanings cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts, what does he do? Don't think for one second that everything in your heart is only for you. The Holy Spirit comes on you, is in you, walking with you, through you, but he's minded all of your business. It says, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is. So there's a conversation excluding us but it's about us it's between what the mind of God is and the reality of what is in our hearts and God has his own conversation with himself about the two because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God and we know somebody say we know, we know. that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called, somebody say the called, according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Somebody say called. This is different from the first one. The first one was the called which is a class of people, this one he called the called. Okay? This second call is a proclamation. Whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Somebody say amen. Our recap real quick from last week is that our faith is built on the substance of a reality that we cannot see. Say my faith, my faith. is built on what I cannot see. We understood last week that it is not defined by a ritualistic approach or any kind of external code or obligation, but literally our faith is defined by a simple belief in God, in what God has said, and in what God has done. Somebody say amen. Our hope then does not rest blindly in intangible faith, but our hope relies in our experience of the sovereignty of God. Somebody say, I have hope. And what I don't see because of my experience. So we as believers are never walking around blindly following God, uh, you know, hoping or wishing, as it were, that there's something that he's going to do. Even, even when we can't see what God is doing, our faith says that we know that he's going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. We don't see it. We don't trace it. And in certain instances, there is no indication that he's going to do anything or that the circumstance is ever going to change. Yet there is an inner knowing or a reality that something is about to happen. Somebody shout, that's our faith. That's our hope. 
And so it rests upon not our ability to believe or to hope, but it rests upon the sovereignty of God and the reality that God cannot lie. Somebody say he cannot lie. He can't lie because the moment he opens his mouth to say it, it has to happen anyway. So if he wanted to tell a lie, the lie becomes the truth as soon as he utters it. Somebody say amen. amen. So we rest in the sovereignty of God. Somebody say amen. We talked about how the apostle is dealing with Rome. It was the epicenter of culture and knowledge. They were highly sophisticated. They were intellectuals uh, in all of their high-mindedness and their thought. And they had a very high opinion of themselves as the most influential world power. And we talked about the apostle Paul coming into the area of Rome as a part of his life's destination and journey to bring the gospel to them so that they would no longer reason according to their intellect and high-mindedness, but that the grace of God that has appeared to all men would be able to make itself manifest in the midst of Rome. Somebody say amen. amen. All right? There are three reasons why he wrote the book of Romans. Number one, it was to prepare the believers for his final journey. Paul was coming at this time to the end of his ministerial career and campaign, and he was setting things up because he knew that he was about to transition. Somebody say amen. Number two, to establish the believers in a well-instructed faith. Somebody say well-instructed faith. In other words, as a good apostle, he did not want the people to just believe anything. That's why in our age of apostleship, there are times that we don't uh, hang off of the chandeliers in our services, but we sit down and we come to a point of learning and instruction. Why? Because your faith cannot rest in high, emotionally charged church atmosphere. It has to rest in the truth of what God has said. Because when the enemy comes to fight you, he's not fighting your praise. He's going to fight the truth of God that is in you that has the power to defeat him. Somebody say amen. And so that's why we see a lot of believers all over the church. They're dancing, they're singing, they're shouting, but they don't have victory. They're going through all of the motions and the machinations, but when the rubber meets the road and they wind up in a real experience, a lot of believers falter and fail. Why? Because they never ingested the truth that they danced about. They never really received the engrafted word that was able to conform their soul. Somebody shout hallelujah. So the apostle did not want them to just believe anything because he knew that after his departure that savage wolves were going to come in and they were not going to spare the flock. Somebody shout hallelujah. Number three, he wrote the book of Romans because it was his pastoral epistle and an exhortation to both Jews and Gentiles about how they were supposed to live together in harmony. The commentary that I studied said that this book is the most theological construct of all of the writings of Paul in that it includes the most systematic presentation of theology in all scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. Somebody say amen. In the book of Romans, Paul clarifies the core concepts of Christianity, which are sin and righteousness. I know I'm going fast. Faith and works and justification and election. I'll say it one more time for the note takers. Sin and righteousness. Faith and works. Justification and election. Somebody say amen. In this text, and I'm pushing through, the apostle establishes a foundational archon, which is a governing principle of Christianity that all 
things work together for good. Somebody say, all things. Say it with power. All things work together for the good. So it does not matter in your life experience how bad bad actually gets. Because if you are a believer, there is a governing principle that all creation has to acquiesce to and respond to that no matter where you are and how you are and what it looks like and what it feels like and what the experience is all about, it has to turn around and work together for your good. I think that's a reason to open your mouth and praise them just for a minute. Because no matter, I want you to think about exactly what I'm saying, that all things have have to work together for your good it means if you're in foreclosure it means if you're in despair it means if you're in depression it means if you're dealing with fear or intimidation it means if you're dealing with tragedy or loss it does not matter in whatever predicament you find yourself there is a principle at work that is pushing upon the tapestry of your experience and it's converting it to work together not just to be good but for your good open your mouth because it's working together for your good open your mouth and praise him hallelujah there's a freedom in that let me get to this don't confuse it having to work together for your good to mean it's always going to be good because there are some bad experiences that are good for us. I know y'all don't want to talk about bad experiences, but there are some things that we have endured, and I'm trying to preach beyond this level so that we won't only identify with all the hell that we've been through because we got a glory to manifest. But the reality is, is that in our experience, that there are days that we woke up and we couldn't find any good. But if we have enough of this truth at work in us, we can look at a bad situation and have a good expectation because we know that it has to turn around. As a matter of fact, I don't know who I'm preaching to, but you're dealing with something bad right now. I want you to get real prophetic and open your mouth and begin to prophesy to the bad situation that there's good wrapped up in you, in your DNA, in the fabric of this experience. Something is working for my good. But before, for your good, I just hear it in my spirit again, for your good, come on, let it get in your spirit. I'm not trying to get a quick reaction. I'm trying to get an eternal change out of you. Come on, shift your mindset about your experience. Shift your mindset about what you're facing. Shift your mindset about what you're going through. And tell it, it's got to work for my good. The apostle has a specific criteria, and I'm almost done, that has to be fulfilled. Now watch this, because we can't read the Bible the way they taught us to read the Bible in Sunday school. Or if you were Seventh-day Adventists like me in Sabbath school, you know what they did? They had a special verse of the week. And so we had to look at that verse, and we had to memorize that verse, and we had to come to church prepared to, to recite our verse. 
and what it did was build within us an ideology that you can just pick out a verse and get an understanding. No, we got to look at it in the entire context of what, y'all not going to help me be theological and hermeneutically correct tonight, but you have to look at it within the context of what God is saying. Somebody shout amen. And so we have danced over and over and over again. I'm, I'm already past my time because we believe that all things are working together for the good, but we have neglected to delve into understanding the qualifier for things to work out. Y'all not going to help me in here tonight. And so this is why it's not really oxymoronic, but there's a level of revelation because we've looked at believers that have hoped for things to work together for their good, but we don't ever see any good come out of their experience. It's God a lie? No. He's not a man that he should lie. Neither is he the son of man that he should repent. If he said it he's going to be able to make it good. So when we don't see the goodness of what God said coming to pass we've got to question what's going on in the middle. There's a criteria for how to make every experience work together for your good. Somebody say for my good. He said, watch this, all and we know. Now, he was just talking about faith, and he was just talking about hope. But when he comes to this part, he's not talking about either faith or hope. But he's talking about a knowledge that is inwrought by experience. So when he says here, I know, the word in the Greek there gives an indication of a personal interchange and experience so he's not talking about what I'm believing but I'm not believing for what I can't see he's not talking about it he said we know somebody said we know that all things work together it's like in the washing machine the washing machine doesn't just take one garment and it gets stuck in one place in the washing machine and just jiggle around no it gets washed and swept and flipped and rung and turned and twisted that's the all things somebody say all things come on get dramatic we almost out of here get dramatic for all things are working together say it's all in the wash that's a little bit of good a little bit of bad but it's all getting together in the wash and it's gonna work I gotta preach that for a minute it's still gonna come out all right I wish somebody would open their mouth He said, but all things work together for the good of those who love God. Wait a minute. Because that interjects a criteria that has to be met. See, now measurement comes into play. Because if it's only going to work together for the good of them who love God, we've got to have a way of ascertaining who are those who really love God. Y'all not going to like it. And I got to say this real quick. But some of y'all don't love God. Because Jesus made it real clear. He said, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. I'm going to let me walk over here. Following what God said is easy when you love him. I got to preach to the believers that are still struggling with obedience. You better check your love level because you might not love him as much as you say you. Y'all not going to like it in here. 
It's just like in a relationship. You all lovey-dovey until you find out there's something about them that gets on your nerves. Where did the butterflies go? I don't know. 24 hours ago, you were madly in love, but now you can't stand them because you never loved them the way you said you. You love their ambiance. You love what they brought into the room when they walked. Y'all not going to help me. It's all right. You love the fragrance of their perfume or their cologne. But when you really had to deal with them as an individual, something inside got turned off real quick. And you know what you did? You didn't walk away. You went through the motions. Y'all not going to help me preach. And that's the same thing people do in the house of God. They don't love him. They detest what he says. They despise leadership. They speak evil of dignitaries. They talk about things they don't understand. You don't love him. You having a rendezvous with an atmosphere. But the devil is a lie. There's a remnant of people that's being raised up in this place that have a love for God that's going to show forth. He said, if you love me, take your seats, I got to finish. Keep my commandments. He didn't even say just listen to him. He said keep them. That means I'm never dropping anything you said, even if I don't think it's relevant for where I am, I'm keeping it. Oh, you gave me another instruction. Ten years later, I'm still keeping it. Why? Because I love it. Wait. He said, they will know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. He said, how can you say that you love God that you can't see? Am I still in scripture? But you hate the brother you see every day. Oh, you thought you could love and worship God over hating me, but it's not going to work because if you really love him, y'all not going to help me preach. You have to have love for me. This text, I got to get through it, disqualifies and explains. It disqualifies but it explains. Now I understand. Y'all not going to like this. Help me and pray for me. Why the mean church mother ain't got nothing. She ain't even got no teeth. Because she don't really love God. Now we understand how you've been in church your whole life. And you mean and nasty and ain't got nothing. Ain't got nobody. Now we see the print. It explained to us. That the love of God was never really in you. Let me get through this. She ain't got no teeth. God ain't even let her keep her chompers. Mean, nasty. Can't nobody find God when they come to the church. 
Because you sit up there judging what they got on. Let them get in and let the Holy Ghost do what the Holy Ghost does. We don't need you to be God Jr. trying to police what people look like. The devil's a lie. You ain't nothing but the seed of Satan and the spirit of the Antichrist resisting the work of the anointing in the lives of the people of God. Cast that spirit out of the house of God. This religious spirit, I got to hit it for a minute is antagonistic against the real power of God because when God really gets a hold of a church that religious spirit will come in there and try to creep in and say it gotta be like this it gotta look like that my last bishop said it gotta, the devil is a lie I bind you religion witchcraft whoredom all of your harlotry get out of the house of God because we want an authentic outpouring of the Holy Spirit that man cannot manipulate that man cannot infiltrate we need a real raw radical anointing Says, take your seat, time. I gotta. Says, all things work together for the good to those who love God. Wait a minute. To know Him is to love Him. There is no way you can tell me that you love God and have a real experience with God and you don't have any regard for God. Now listen, y'all, we are all humans, and I'm, 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 I'm wrapping up. We are all humans going through a human experience. We're spiritual beings, all this, you know how they say that. None of us have reached the place of perfection. None of us. I was having a conversation with a believer a couple of weeks ago and they said, well, you know, we sin every day. I said, I do not sin every day. I said, I probably go weeks at a time without committing a sin. Let me, re let me readjust your ideology. Here we go. Let me readjust your ideology. And this is why y'all can't come out of stuff. Turn that heat down. Y'all burning the people up. This is why y'all can't come out of stuff. Because when God's spirit begins to move on you to lead you in the path of righteousness, you start to reason and tell him, but everybody got a little something, something. You start to tell the Holy Ghost, but we sin every day. But we're in flesh. We were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. But that's why the reality is, is that we've been born again. Anybody that's been born again has crucified the flesh with his ungodly desires. Y'all not going to help me in here tonight. Anybody that's been baptized into Christ has been baptized into his death. And your old nature was left in the watery grave. And when you got up, you got up in resurrection power. But you got up a new man or a new woman in Christ. Sin doesn't have dominion over the believer. Let me help you. The only way you get to sin as a believer is when you choose to go sin. Sin has no legal right over the believer. Because if it did, then the cross was of none effect. Now I want to see who's bold enough to get up and make that declaration. 
if you say I can't help it, you just said the cross has no power. No, just say you nasty and undisciplined and your will is not surrendered. Because we all been there. We've all, don't look at me like that. I said we've all been there. The scripture says all have sinned. All means all and fallen short. Y'all not going to help me of the glory of God. That means we were almost about to step over and we missed it and had to go all the way back to the beginning and start doing it all over again. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory, but greater. Is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That means we got a victory because he's doing a work in us that he's faithful to complete. So even if I misstepped and didn't get the glory this time and got to go all the way back to square one, it's all right because he's doing a work in me and he's going to keep doing it until the day of Christ. I just got to keep pushing and get right back to where I was. Scripture says, please see. I'm on too much time. Two minutes. He said, I got to get past love. Holy Spirit, help me get past the love of God. Scripture says, Ephesians 5.18, that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given, with, given to us. Huh? You got to have an experience with God to really love him. But the experience makes you love him all the more. If you don't really love him enough to listen to him, tell God you don't love him enough. And say, Holy Spirit, help me love him. Worship in spirit. And then the truth is God knows you don't love him. <clears throat> through your song, through your tears, through your dance, your tongues, and rolling on the floor. He knows. But he's merciful. And he said, come on, his, his providence says one day the Holy Spirit, who is definitely in our midst, is going to grab you. And when he grabs you, the love of God will be shed abroad. And one day you really going to love him. Keep pushing. But tell the truth. Those who love God, I got to stop. And are the call. Listen. To those who are the called. Somebody say the called. Now, the called is... It is a word that brings about distinction. So the called indicates that there are those who are not the called. Okay? So here we go. We're qualifying. This is, I'm about to show you how to make everything work together for your good. Number one, you got to love God. Number two, you have to recognize who you are as the called. Y'all listen. Listen to me. Look up for one second. Say the called. The called have an awareness that everything that happens in their life has to somehow connect to and correspond to the calling of God on their life. Can I say it again? The called has to live by an awareness. It's a consciousness. You know how y'all say stay woke? Talking about black empowerment. Well, stay woke concerning being the called. 
because if I recognize that I have been put into a category of people called the called, it means, Elder Ramona, every single thing that happens in my life has to in some way connect to the calling that is upon my life. Watch this. Listen, I'm about to make it plain. That means I can't go to a church that's not connected to that call. You want me to sit there and look cute on the way to hell. I can't come to your church. Y'all not going to help me. You want me to play instruments because I got a good skill, but you don't care that I'm shacking up with half of the people in your church. I can't go to your church and play and go to hell from your church. You want me to sit here and sing because I have a nice voice, but you don't care anything about the prison of depression I'm living in. No, every when you recognize who you are as the called, you can't worship everywhere. When I see who I am as the called, it changes my contact list in my phone. Because if who you are and what you're about is not conducive to this arrangement between heaven and earth concerning my life, I can't expend any of my energy, any of my focus, any of my time with you because I'm busy dealing with the call. Y'all don't believe it. Y'all don't believe it. But you entertain people who are only a distraction to your purpose. <laughs> Listen to me. Listen. You love them. You got soul ties with them. I don't mean ungodly souls, but I mean soul ties. Connection. You've exchanged emotion and feeling and sentiment. You've had dinner. You've shared secrets and struggles and pain and traumas and trials. And they've been support systems and all of that. But when you ask the Holy Spirit, he'll say, they are a distraction. Y'all not going to like it because some distractions are convenient in certain seasons. You a distraction now that I'm focused, but when I was unfocused, you was my buddy. But when I came to myself, my revelation about being the called had to change my contact list. Can I go a little bit deeper? Recognizing who you are as the called will change who you deal with in the church. <clears throat> I'm just walking out my own deliverance right here. Give me a second. I'll be right back. I said, God, I'm sick of renegades. I'm sick of rebels. I'm sick of bastards. That's the fatherless. I'm sick of the people with ulterior motives. I'm sick of the people that are out of alignment with the vision. I'm sick of the people that got their own agendas and ulterior motives. And you know what the Holy Spirit began to speak to me? He began to show me how his love is so all-encompassing that even though, watch this, y'all gonna have to walk with me on this thin line. Now, somebody says the thin line between love and hate. It's a thin line between love and hate. 
walk with me on this thin line. Even though we need everybody to be on one accord to get the vision done, we have to have allowance for people to be here who are never going to help us fulfill the vision, but they still need the experience of the God who shows up in our midst. Nope, y'all didn't get it. That means they're not going to act right on the praise team, but let them sing. It means they're not going to do right in the new members class, but let them come. It means they're not going to serve right on the ministry technician, but put the shirt on them and let them stand at the door because you have to have space for God to invade them even when they don't benefit you. They don't benefit the vision, but let them connect anyway. Because peradventure, 10 years down the road, they might move out of state. Thank God, let them move. And it could be that Ezekiel's will in the middle of the wheel will start working on them in the cycles and seasons of God will begin to intersect and they might wake up and realize they're a part of the called and what they're going to say then is that I went to a church called Ecclesia Global I wasn't about nothing I didn't pay my tithes I never gave in the offering but they loved on me y'all not going to help me preach it and they ministered to me and even though I didn't benefit them God did something in me because of the love that they showed. Y'all not ready to look like Jesus. They plucked out his beard. They beat him with a cat of nine tails. They hung him on a cross. He said, Father, in between breaths, not able to breathe, asphyxiation, Father, uh, forgive them, but they know not. He couldn't catch his breath, but they don't know what they do you gotta love just like jesus open your mouth and shut i gotta go i gotta go, I gotta go. everybody's saying it i gotta stop it's too long on a wednesday night we'll pick this up next wednesday we have to deal with understanding Pastor Isaiah, y'all gotta help me who we really are I'm done, I'm really done, I'm real life I've been preaching at this point for 48 minutes it's too long We have to deal with, we have to grapple, so I say grapple, with the reality of who we are. I'm going to show you in this text the profound position that we have been afforded in Christ Jesus. I'm going to show you next Wednesday. I'm just going to teach it next Wednesday, and we'll dance at the end. The profound position that we have, what it means to go through this process of glorification. 
the topic of this, like it was last week, is the glory of the saints. There's a process of glorification that God has called us into that will manifest in the earth. It's not just for when we return to him. Because creation is groaning. Come on, somebody say context. We're still in the same text. Waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. You don't become the manifestation of the son of God without going through this process. But it begins with your love for God. Listen to me. Everybody's not going to get it, Elder Dewberry, and I'm okay now. I'd no longer take your rejection of God personal. I no longer take your rejection of the truth personal. It's not my affair. My assignment is to preach the word. And to the best of my ability and the grace of God at work in me, I will stand here and on pulpits all around this world and I will feed his sheep because I often hear him in my spirit saying, feed my sheep. See, I was frustrated for years pastoring because I said, God, they're not even getting it. And I said, I spent five and six hours studying to prepare one message. And I'd get up and preach, and they would look at me like I got three heads. So you know what I did? I stopped. Started watching Housewives and Iyanla Van Zandt and um, Love and Marriage Huntsville on Saturday nights instead of being in prayer and study. I said, I'll give them what comes to the top of my head when I walk into church. And then I heard the Lord, his voice, sternly, but still tenderly, say, feed my sheep. And in the sentence of him saying, feed my sheep, I realized that how the sheep eat and digest it was not my problem. That's not my problem. My obligation is that I have to make sure that what I'm serving his people is what he has ordered on the menu. See, I can't just, you just, I can't, I can't walk into one of my favorite Italian restaurants, Trey Scalina, and order a hamburger. No matter how bad I want a hamburger, I can't get it because it's not an option on the menu. Jesus said, here's the menu. You prepare what I told you to prepare and let me deal with how they eat and digest. So now I don't preach for you. I preach out of obedience to him. I prepare out of obedience to him. I study out of obedience to him to show myself uh, approved unto God, not the people. No, 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 no. Because the church is always going to be filled with people that will take a good word and stomp on it. So you can't let that move you, preachers. You can't let that, you can't let that hinder you. Your faithfulness has to be to what he said. God is going to show us who we are. I'm done. Everybody stand. Let's have the benediction. He's going to show us who we are in him. And we are going to manifest. Listen to me, y'all. We are going to manifest. We are going to manifest. Do y'all know what manifestation looks like? It looks like every gift in you being put to work. It means every calling 
in your life as a part of the call being activated. It means every anointing that you have ever felt come upon your being, being reinforced and empowered and ignited to flow through you. It means every gift to preach, being implored. We're about to manifest. And what's going to make us different and what's going to give us the cutting edge, y'all, is not going to be the hottest commercial or the fiercest flyer is going to be the raw anointing and power of God. People are going to say, I don't know, I don't like that church, but they got something that's real because that's what they say. I ain't never going to that church, but they ain't playing though. They real. I've heard leaders of ministry say, I'm not coming to your church. I said, why are you not coming to my church? Because your prophet's going to call me out. Okay, apostle. Literally. Literally. I ain't coming up in there for a low. Mm-mm, them prophets. Mm-mm. They gonna call me out. Because they know there's something authentic. Lift your hands up as the raw anointing of God that is ever present amongst us. Come on, open your mouth. Just for a moment, I'm done. Father, we pray for radical visitations. Radical visitations that will shake us to the core of our beings. That will shake us out of ourselves and shake us into you. Radical visitations that will empty us of ourselves and fill us with your power and glory. Radical visitations that make us dream into the heavenly realm where angels of God are sent to us to awaken us and to give us revelation of great mysteries. Come on, open your mouth. I'm really done. But I feel this stirring in my spirit. Radical visitations that make us agents of reformation and awakening and revival. Father, we give you glory. Come on, I just feel it. I got to go. We give you glory. We give you glory. Father, give us what the nations need. We're not trying to be famous. We just want to be anointed. Give us what the generation needs. Come on, open your mouth. He's expanding your capacity. Give us what the generation needs. Give us. We're not here to play church, Father. We're not here to play church. We are here to answer the travail of creation. We are here in this generation and in this hour to manifest as sons and daughters of God that when we move, creation knows that you are moving in the earth. Father, we are your body. I wish y'all would pray the Bible from the standpoint and the lens of the Father. We are the body of Christ. What you did in Jesus on the earth, you now have to do in us. Christ in us. Y'all not here. 
Christ in us, the hope of glory. We are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are your corporeal expression in the earth. We are the body of Christ. We are filled with your glory. We are filled with your spirit. Now, Father, bless this house. Bless this house. Hiya. Bless these people. These are your glory conduits. These are your psalmists, your intercessors, your prophets, your apostles, your pastors, your preachers, your evangelists, your teachers. These are your doorkeepers and your watchmen and your gatekeepers in regions. These are your voices, your echo in the earth. These are your builders. These are your implementers. This is your offspring. You are the offspring of the Almighty God. This is your offspring. You sire them from your own loins, Father. You set them in the earth. They weren't born here by the will of flesh. They weren't born by the will of a man or a woman. They have been born of the Holy Ghost. They are born of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. 